All right, see if I, I can hear you now. Test, test, test. Yeah, sweet. Got it. I was going to say, this is crazy. I'm on cam and you're not. I, I guess you really do have a face for radio. Oh, oh, oh wow. <laughs> going to go there, are we? <laughs> How you doing? I'm good. I'm good, man. I am super stoked about this. Sure, I am too. I, <laughs> I really am too. Welcome to the worst of the best podcast. You wanted the best. Well, they didn't freaking make it. So here's what you get. From Canada and Georgia, Ryan and Alan. Welcome to the Worst of the Best podcast. I am your host, and with me today, we have a very special guest. We have Alan Sanders from the Wilder Ride podcast, but he's also from a plethora of other stuff. And uh, Alan, why don't you introduce yourself and just say what other stuff you're from and where people can find you. Well, hey, Ryan, thank you so much, and I'm just thrilled to to be part of your uh, fantastic podcast here. I've been I've been having a lot of fun catching up on some of your older episodes since I accidentally stumbled across the one where you and Doug Greenberg did the one where you looked at the Anthrax, Anthraxology album one and two as two different episodes. And I've been going back and trying to listen to them. I just love this concept. So, yeah, I do a, a podcast called The Wilder Ride, which initially started off in the movies by minutes format where we would look at a movie one minute at a time. So each episode was only dedicated to 60 seconds of the film. And you think, well, how much can you talk about? Well, go back and check it out and listen. There's a lot you can talk about with people and guests. We did Young Frankenstein in season one. We did Blazing Saddles in season season two. We were getting ready for the first pairing of Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor for season three with Silver Streak when the global pandemic hit. And so a lot of our guests were scheduled in studio. We couldn't do that. We tried to pull back my podcast partner and I, Walt Murray. And uh, long story short, his mom was suffering for a long time with, with, with cancer. And eventually she succumbed at the beginning of the year. So it threw our complete season out the window, which was kind of neat because we had always been talking about the idea of doing a guest driven show, sort of a side podcast, still into the branding of the Wilder Ride. And so we launched what we call the Wilder Ride Listeners Lounge this year where once a week we sit down, kind of like what you're doing with me, and bring a guest on and chat about their lives, uh, where they came from, what they've done, and where they're going. And we have some fun along the way with some weird news and what we're watching, what we're reading, what we're listening to. We just try to, try to have more of a kind of a Johnny Carson, sort of an, a late-night feel to the interview. Yeah, I've enjoyed that. And ironically, well, not ironically, but I guess the same way you stumbled on my uh, show during COVID, I stumbled on yours for this. And I knew about your show, but I, I'm not a Wilder fan in the sense like I, I've seen the movies, but I wouldn't know them enough in my head to follow them minute by minute. And so when you uh, did the third season of The Guests, that's when I jumped on board. I've listened to every episode of your third season with all your rotating guests that have come on. In fact, I know I'm coming on the show in December, I think. We're recording in the December. Yes. Okay, but I'm a little bit nervous because you've had some pretty uh, some pretty interesting characters on there, and you ask these questions, and I'm answering the questions in my head as you ask the, these to the guests. I'm like, I don't think I'm that interesting. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what. You it's know gonna be what? very short. It's gonna be a very short episode. <laughs> Everybody in my mind has a great story to tell. It's just, do we as the host, do we take the time to make sure we know what that story is so we can help drive it? And honestly, I love doing it. I, I've got a background in radio. And one of my favorite things to do besides talking current events and trying to make them 
understandable because there is so much information out there. And I'm not trying to you know, pick sides necessarily here. I'm just going to say my job, I think, as a talk host is to explain what's going on and do my best to give you more of the story and then help you make up your mind uh, you know, by giving you that information. But one of my favorite things outside of that is interviewing people, whether it's politicians, entertainers, local business leaders, uh, people doing nonprofit work. It doesn't matter. I love just that conversation with people, just learning about them or what they're doing and their passions. And, and dude, trust me, there is plenty for us to be able to talk about. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing how that happens. Well, I'm very excited to have you on. You're a consummate professional. You got that radio voice. And as we stated in the intro, you might have a radio face because I don't see you on camera. <laughs> but uh, that's we'll okay. with that. Okay. No, no. I've seen your pictures. You're a handsome man. You're a handsome man. Well, okay. hey, no, thank you. <laughs> okay, so uh, you did reach out to me and said, hey, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying the episode on Anthrax with uh, you and Doug. I know Doug's been on your show. So we started talking a little bit. And I'm like, hey, I'm always looking for a guest host, a rotating uh, guest host. It's always nice to have a podcaster come on because they just kind of know what they're doing and they're able to podcast and roll right into the subject. So I asked you, Dealer's Choice, like, is there a band that you love that you want to talk about? And you brought up Queensryche. I remember when you brought it up, I was a little bit nervous because I'm like, oh boy, I, I don't like these guys. And I'll tell you my experience with them, and then we'll roll into yours, and then we'll roll into the uh, album Mindcrime, Operation Mindcrime. Uh, so I was born in 75. I know you're a little bit older than me, but we both love the same type of music. We, I think we both like, you know, the hair metal or hard rock. Uh, we share a lot of the same types of music that we grew up with. But for Queensryche, for some reason, I don't know why... When I was a teenager, the only thing I knew about them was their 1990 hit uh, or whatever it was, 1991, Silent Lucidity. And maybe that was the first song I ever saw from them on Airplay or on you know Much Music or it's the uh, Canada's MTV. I just remember thinking, oh, this is silly. They're corny. They're trying to be like a, you know, a hair metal band with their ballad. I scoffed at them. I thought they were weak or pansy. And this is me listening to the guy that listens to like Poison and Molly Crew. And I'm like, <laughs> and I, I don't know what my snobbery was. So you brought up Queensryche and I'm like, oh, okay. I don't mind listening to new music. So I'm like, well, which album do you think is their, uh, either their most successful selling album or the one that you think is creatively their best album? And you brought up Mindcrime. I'm like, okay, sure. And I, sat on it for a while. I'm like, I don't want to listen to this. I don't want to listen to this. Okay, but I got to listen to this because I'm not going to be doing a show about it. We'll get into it track by track, of course, but I'm telling you, Alan, I legitimately listen to this album now on my own because I want to. Excellent. I got a chance to watch you do that first reaction video you record for your uh, YouTube channel, and I was grinning. I felt I had open your door. I felt like the, the Obi-Wan Kenobi. You've taken your first step into a larger world. And I get it because, you know, there's so many people I know that are like, I just never got into Queensryche. I never understood them. You know, what's the umlaut over the Y all about? It feels like they're just a weird band. They got a name that makes me think, is it a German metal band? I won't even know mm -hmm. the lyrics. It's amazing the things I've heard people say when I say, did you ever hear Queensryche? The cool thing to kind of pull back to the, when you and I first texted back and forth to, to chat about what album we do, you said, well, to your point, best creative album or most successful. Ironically, their most successful album was the album to follow this one, Empire, which is where Silent Lucidity came from. Mm -hmm. That album went triple platinum. Queens ranks Mindcrime, after they finally put out a couple of videos, they were doing the Empire tour. The studio finally said, okay, with Empire, we'll let you headline. I want you to think about that. They were not a headliner until after this album had been out several months. And finally, it wasn't until MTV and a couple of videos that got them enough stature 
that when they went on their Empire tour, they said, well, while we're headlining, we're going to dedicate an entire set to nothing but from start to finish the entire Mind Crime album. Mm. Wow. Well, you mentioned Europe, right? Or German or something. I didn't know they were from Bellevue, Washington. Yes. <laughs> yep, born the, in Britain, USA. <laughs> no, not just Bel- not just USA, but I'm from uh, Victoria, born and raised in Victoria, British Columbia, which is like a stone's throw away from Bellevue. Like I can see Bellevue from our shoreline on the water. I had no idea they were almost like local boys minus the border. Yeah. In that same pre-grunge movement, which, by the way, they try to move into that with some of their other albums. I love Empire. Empire is a fantastic album, the one that followed this. Mm. I think all the songs are just brilliant on it. I would encourage you, if you've enjoyed this, check that one out as a companion piece to this one. But it doesn't have that storytelling. It's not a concept album. So all the songs are individual. And I think, to me, it's a commercial album. And it Mm -hmm. works very, very well as a commercial album. But I will always come back to this. This is, to me the absolute best Queensryche ever was with this album. Now, you talk about the concept part, and I know that's a selling point for some people, but it's actually a turnoff for me. I don't like the idea that I have to listen to a song or a particular uh, album in order. Since the advent of the CD, I have enjoyed... That was the first thing I loved about the CD. I got my first my first two CDs, by the way. It was uh, 1988. I bought off the Columbia House record, uh, you know, that Columbia House. Did you have that mm-hmm. in the States? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. The, the first two I Buy bought. Your first 11 for a penny and then you have to subscribe or something. Amazing deal. You know what? If you did it properly and you didn't cheat the system, it was actually an amazing deal. That being said, I uh, my first two CDs were Aerosmith's self-titled al- album and Aerosmith's Toys in the Attic. Put those in. The thing I loved about with my CD player is I could put the songs on random. I didn't have to like fast forward or queue up. The idea that I could just put an album on random and let the fates of the universe tell me which song to listen to, I always enjoyed that. So when the idea of concept albums came to my understanding, I, some part of me was like, oh, I just can I just listen to a song? I don't want to know the history. Even though I'm a big lyric guy, here's is I love knowing liner notes of every song. Uh, I'd pull up the CD booklet or whatever, and I'd read the lyrics. I wanted to hear what the song was about because I feel like the song is actually a soundtrack to the lyrics. I'm really big on that. Mm -hmm. I have grown, or now I'm really starting to appreciate in my own musical journey of listening to bands I've never listened to before, understanding and getting behind the concept album. This album, in its own right, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I am an absolute zero knowledge on Queensryche. I know, even though I knew the name of Jeff Tate well before uh, going into this, this is an album that I like the idea that the concept isn't that crazy, that it wasn't hard to understand. So I went on Wikipedia and I read the storyline. If we want, we can use the Wikipedia, or I don't know if you know the story well enough, but before Mm -hmm. each song, we can just say, hey, this is the part. Because there's going to be people listening to this episode, I guarantee, that's never heard this album before, doesn't know the story. But So I think it would behoove us a little bit. We don't have to get too wrapped up in the storyline. Give an overview of what this story is about. Uh, Do you know it uh, well enough to talk what the story is about? Yeah, yeah. We could do a high level here, and I do think it makes sense to, as we go into each song, and hopefully we'll get a chance, because I'm like you. I want to to call out certain lyrics and oh, please, maybe yeah. even some of the references of some of those lyrics. I'm a lyric guy as well. Okay. I have been that kid who, when I used to get albums in right. the record store, first thing I do is as I put the record on, almost always when you open it up, there would be the lyric sheet or a cover sheet. The thing about cassettes, not always would have lyrics, but you'd have them in the album. And, and some of these early, with the transition into CDs, I owned Queensryche first on tape 
and then wow. I had to yeah. buy it on CD. Yeah. I'm only about five years older than you, by the way, but it's amazing that the transition of technology and because yeah. you know, I started with records, went to cassette, and then DVD, and now we're streaming everything. I think what you said is an important thing to know about Queensryche's Operation Mindcrime. Yes, you listen to it start to finish, and it's an entire story that actually has sort of a Pink Floyd the Wall mm. loop that if you mm -hmm. listen very carefully to where it starts and the whole minute and a half or so of just dialogue and sort of background sound effects, and then the very last few seconds as the last song ends, you get the sense like, oh, okay, now I can loop it back around and listen all over again. It doesn't have to be listened in order. It's great if you want to hear the story. I would argue that unless the interruptions of the interludes and the every now and then you've got those little pieces of music that may be only a minute long or a minute right. and a half, or you have a, someone walking up and saying, you know, a little uh, a narrative interlude, you could randomly listen to all of these songs and it'd be okay. And I agree, especially once you know the story. Just think of any favorite movie. You put a, your favorite movie on a DVD player, randomize the uh, scenes. You still know where, where you are in the story. Cause exactly. Because you know it well enough at that point. The idea of a hard rock or metal band having a concept album, I hate the term prog. I don't know why I hate that term. But <laughs> I understand what it means. But I just there's something about the term prog. It sounds snobby to me. Remember, Rush, they're tied, in my mind, with Pink Floyd as my all-time favorite band. Right. I mean, Rush will always be just an amazing band. And they were progressive rock. Queensryche is considered progressive metal. And I think that's that term they use for, wow, very smart, very well done. They're not just singing about drinking and booze and right. going out and breaking hotel rooms. They're actually, they've got much bigger ideas at play here. But I never knew that about Queensryche when I was a teenager. Again, whatever it was that steered me away, maybe the way Jeff Tate looked, maybe when I saw Silent Lucidity, <laughs> I, I wanted to punch him in the face as a teenager. I don't know what it was about him, and maybe I'm not wrong about him. I read a little bit about Queensryche and their breakup, and there was a point where they there was two Queensryche bands releasing albums. Yep. Insane to me, by the way. It kind of breaks my heart a little bit, even with a band like Queensryche that I don't have a long history with. We just can't get along. That Whatever creative juice and harmony was there at one point, it goes away. And this is an age-old story of bands everywhere, right? Yeah. I hate it as well because the front man is the front man. And, mm -hmm. and more often than not in our MTV world, they get the headlines, they get the spotlight, they get the camera. And sometimes that goes to their head. I, we just recently lost Eddie Van Halen at the time of this recording. And I keep thinking about when David Lee Roth became too big for the band in his own head yeah. and they had to kick him out. And now they've had back and forth with him. When they brought in Sammy Hagar, I would argue the band got much better lyrically, much better musically. Now, that's not to take away the hits of the, and I know there's a, people who are Van Halen snobs like, oh, if it isn't, if it isn't David Lee Roth, it's not Van Halen, sure. it's Van Hagar. I'm like, you right. know what, it's not. It's, it's Eddie Van Halen's band. Eddie Van Halen was behind the genesis of the music, but Hagar could sing so much better than David Lee Roth and yeah. brought, I think, a much wider, bigger dimension to the band because he wasn't just the front man. He realized, I'm part of a band. And I think right. Jeff Tate has suffered from that. It got too big for him. It breeds jealousy, but it also breeds contempt as well when you sure. have a person who thinks, I'm the band and I'm because I'm the lead singer. Well, no, you're five people. You're one piece of the band. But, you know, we're human beings. We've, we've got our issues and frailties and egos and... And unfortunately, that sometimes leads to the darker outcomes. Some bands are able to pull it off. Uh, U2. I mean, we, the Bono is certainly the face of U2, but those four guys have 
they've stuck through it since the early 70 like 79 80 it's crazy yeah. so some bands have been able to figure it out but yeah sometimes you know unfortunately you know, uh, i'm going to bring up bon jovi simply because there's a, there'll be a time when we get to it uh with bon jovi and and one of the producers of this album same thing you got a guy who you could argue the whole band is about one guy but they all stuck together because they never acted that way they all worked as a collaborative team even though he was the face of the band right this whole side conversation start off with do you want to tell the story <laughs> oh right well, I, the, welcome to my pocket welcome to ryan's world really i'm <laughs> talk to my wife i'm terrible i'll start a story and we're like <laughs> where, why are we here now i was going to say we had a conversation where you thought i might not have liked jeff tate singing you expressed some sort of you were skeptical yeah, that afterwards I'm, you yeah. told me I finished listening to it and I recorded. I'll, I'll send a link shortly. And I was like, and I could tell it felt like because I was out camping and we were texting back and forth. To me, I felt like I was sensing you loved it, but you were being very coy. And yeah. I said, unless you didn't like Jeff Tate's voice because he does sing in a high, high register. He's got an amazing vocal range, but some people don't like that. They don't like when a when a male singer hits higher registers, much like the Judas Priest or. Let's see who else would have that kind of high register. Well, Bruce, Sebastian Bach of Skid Row. Yeah, stuff like that. My wife is kind of that way. She appreciates Queensryche in terms of music, but it never clicked to that next level because for her, the lead singer pulls it away from her. I mean, for me, I love it. I think he's amazing. I like the high singing. Uh, I have no problem with it. Uh, and he does low range. We'll talk about which songs he does that. I was blown away by his vocal ability. I didn't know he was that kind of a singer. Yeah. Again, I only knew the Silent Lucidity song, which I believe I haven't heard it in probably three decades, to be honest with you. I suspect it was a lower range singing, if I remember correctly. It, it hits the gamut. It starts off very low and then it builds to his typical high range. Okay. And I think that's kind of his selling point. A lot of the Queensryche cover bands or people that do Queensryche covers, the hard thing is trying to find a singer who can do both the low registry, the low octaves, and go all the way, you know, four octaves higher to hit that high registry. So, yeah, I love to sing it. We'll talk about it in some of the songs. Uh, no, overall, I, I, I'm kind of gushing now, but I, I truly, I'm legitimately surprised. My skepticism and bias was so strong. This album had actually had an uphill battle because I came in thinking it was going to be crap. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, good. I was like, I was mad at myself. Like, I kind of don't know why I didn't listen to this when I was, this came out when I was 13. I missed a prime time in my youth listening to this song, my CD, Walkman, doing delivering the paper or riding my bike, listening to the car when I got my driver's license. Yeah, I missed some golden years of banging my head. As this album hit, I was big into the whole cyberpunk sci-fi movement, mm. the whole mixing of machine and man and maybe living in a virtual world. We were watching the digital realm start to come to fruition. Right. In fact, the album prior to this, Rage for Order, was so ahead of its time talking about screaming in digital and I only see in infrared. And it's a fantastic album prior to this. I would certainly say you should own from, you can get the EP if you want. I get that's what put them on the map. But from The Warning, Rage for Order, Operation Mindcrime, and Empire, you should own those four. Hmm. That's it. Anything else, if you choose to explore, that's up to you. Those four albums are sure. just joy. Yeah, every band um, has their peak era. Yeah. yeah. So for me, during this time, it's also the same time that I was, I had experienced the comic book by Alan Moore, V for Vendetta, mm -hmm. which is a fantastic graphic novel. 
and it turned into a really, I think, as good as you can make as an adaptation film. I love the movie, Being yeah. for Vendetta. Yeah. The Watchmen, the DC mm-hmm. Watchmen story, which was a very real, very gritty, when Frank Miller reinvented Batman with mm-hmm. the Dark Knight graphic novel. So I'm yeah. reading these things that have these storylines of corruption and right. what the government's willing to do and how it can drive people to do things that they wouldn't ordinarily do. And then here comes Queensryche Operation Mindcrime. You talk about hitting that sweet spot. It could not have been better. I was right. just graduating high school. Okay. It came out. And I didn't even get this album because at the time, I went to go see Def Leppard's Hysteria concert. Oh, wow. And, and, and they were the lead. This band, Queensryche, was opening for them. I'm like, Queensryche opening? All right, fine, whatever. And I was like, wow, these songs are really good. And then I saw Queensryche opening for Metallica wow. with their And Justice For All. Wow. I'm like, wow, these guys have gotten... They're with Metallica. They open for de- so they can handle the pop rock hair band, but they can also open for the metal band. And then after Empire, and I realized how good they were, I saw them when they headlined as the Empire. So I have seen Queensryche more than any other band. Weird. Wow. <laughs> it's accidentally, because the first two times, I didn't really know them all that well. Right. They just happened to be the, open- the opener. Wow, that's crazy. Okay. All right, so what's the overall story here of this album? So here... Here we go, and I love it because the way this album is told in terms of a concept, it's not so specific or so time-sensitive that it loses its place in time. You would argue, if you read the lyrics today, you could apply it to what's going on in the world today. Right. You've got a corrupt media, corrupt government. You've got people using religion to manipulate people. You've got people using drugs to manipulate Mm -hmm. people. You've got an elite 1% supposed up there at the top manipulating everybody. We're all down here scrounging around. And that's the backdrop of the album. It really is about this man called Dr. X who wants to lead sort of an underground revolution because he's sick and tired of both political and religious leaders having so much power and sway in our country. And he's recruiting people to do various things. And depending on your background, skills, and talent, maybe you can be part of his assassination squad, getting rid of some of these political and religious leaders to bring about a revolution. And Nikki, the main character in our story, is an at-risk youth on the street, drug addict, and Dr. X preys on these kinds of individuals, gets them further addicted, but while helping feed their habit, pours into them this idea of revolution, this idea of change, this idea of we're going to, we can bring about a better world. It may be dark and I may be asking you to do some of these terrible things, but it's all for the greater good. Through drug addiction, through his power of persuasion, you know, we all know stories of serial killers. We know stories of uh, maniacal fascist type leaders that just have the ability to charm and woo and convince you that their view of the world is the right way to go and that you're willing to do whatever it takes. So Nikki gets pulled into this world. And along the way, we meet another character, Mary, who also was pulled into this same world because she was raised on the streets. She had to run from home, became a, a prostitute, and eventually found herself into a convent, but even there she didn't, she wasn't able to escape being used as a sex object as a priest ends up abusing her while in her, while being a nun. As we make our way through the story, Nikki starts to realize, oh my God, I'm doing all these horrible things. I don't see anything changing. And I realize we're just following a a madman really. As this realization hits, Dr. X decides, you know what? We got to get rid of Mary. We got to get rid of the priest. He knows too much. I need you to kill them. And that just brings Nikki to his knees. He's like, I can't because I've, I've fallen for her. We've been through so much together. It continues on that the, he decides he's going to kill the priest, but he also lets Mary live, goes back to Dr. X for a fix. And he says, look, I, I need out of this. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm done. And Dr. X is like, you can't walk away. 
the back half of that album is about Nikki trying to escape the world that he got himself drawn into. It's too late. He's too far in. It's like Macbeth. I am too far steeped in blood. I might as well just keep going. Mary is dead and Nikki falls apart. He's eventually captured, questioned, but found to be so psychologically damaged that he's actually institutionalized. He looks in the mirror. The song Eyes of a Stranger is really, I don't even know who I am anymore. I have lost my way. That's where the album kind of comes full circle because we open in that exact same hospital slash mental institution where Nikki is. There you go. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And Jeff Tate was pretty much the writer of this storyline. After the Rage for Order tour, Jeff Tate was spending some time in Montreal. By the way, if uh, my mom is 100% French-Canadian. She immigrated to the United States having been born in Montreal. So she was part of the French-speaking sec- quadrant of, or um, I guess, province of Canada. I have a huge affiliation with Canada. I've got half my blood is Canadian. We've been to Montreal multiple times when we lived in Detroit. We used to go to Toronto all the time. So this idea that Jeff Tate just kind of hung out in Montreal for weeks and weeks and weeks. Actually, I think in his one of his interviews, he said he was there for months, just enjoying being off tour, some downtime. He heard singing coming out of a Catholic church one night and decided to just go inside. And he said, I took a seat in the back pew and just listen to the chants, the music, the ambiance. I started looking at the architecture of this Gothic-style cathedral. All right. And all of a sudden, it just hit him, this idea of power and church, and what about this underlying story? And all of a sudden, these characters started to come to his mind. Even this bar he used to go to that had a lot of dissidents talking about, we should leave uh, Dominion of Canada, or we should leave Dominion yeah. of, of UK influence. He remembered meeting this guy that had this really cold and just calculating stare, and he ended up leveraging that as well for the character of Dr. X. So that's that all started. But you know what? He had to really convince the band because when he went to them, they were like, we're not doing a concept album. What are you talking about? We're not, that's right. not who we are. And once he convinced uh, guitarist Chris DeGarmo that, hey, trust me, this is going to work. Once Chris was on board, the rest of the band kind of fell in place and they began working on, on this album. That's awesome. Yeah, great background. Great run through of the storyline. So I think without further ado, let's roll into what is officially track one and it's just called i remember now but it's more or less uh nikki the character now i want to say nikki the character in the story it's the same spelling and this will tie into a couple songs of nikki six who is of the basis and head writer of motley crew it's just weird and they were a huge band by 88 they already had the latest album this time would have been girls 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 and Nikki had already OD'd twice on heroin. <laughs> so it's interesting that Jeff Tate chose to use a guy's name that was already big in the uh, metal or hard rock scene with the same spelling who had a heroin addiction. I don't know if that's where it came from, but it's hard to not draw at least some kind of a, an illusion. I always thought of the name Nikki because it sounds kind of mafia-esque. Hey, Nikki, come on over here. Yeah, man. but it's gonna... N-I-K-K-I. So that's the same I know, spelling. It's spelled. Yeah which you wouldn't know hearing it only by looking at the lyrics and looking at the name. I thought that was interesting, but this is also interesting. Right at the beginning of the track, I remember now, which is not a song, so it does not fall into the category of a song. It's just a storyline or just kind of gets you into the mood of what's going on. You hear Nikki's voice, which uh, is played by an actor saying that he remembers now or or what have you. He he wakes up in a hospital trying to remember, well, how did I get here? Why am I here? 
all the voiceover you hear in the album is actually uh, Jeff Tate. Oh, the voice of Nikki. Okay, he does thought, play oh, Nikki. Oh, okay, my bad. There is a female that's brought that's in on right. one song, and she, you hear her voice a couple of times. That's Pamela Moore, a hard rock guitarist, uh, singer-songwriter. Never really, I don't have a whole lot of background on her. This is actually Jeff Tate, but you don't hear him right away. And I love this. If, you're, if you listen to this album over and over, you get also some threads that will be pulled into the story from what's being played on the television. You hear this lady on the PA system, Dr. Davis, telephone line one, Dr. Davis. That's the exact same recording, speaking of Molly Crew, that they used for their intro track to the Dr. Feelgood album. Yeah. That came yeah. out two years later. Is it just they're pulling from the same audio samples that the studios have? The thing is, it seems like that's just your generic. You could almost hear that in any hospital setting in any movie regardless of whether or not you're focused on the hospital. Oh yeah, but it's the goes. same, it's the exact same clip. It's like, exactly the yeah, same clip, right. Yeah. I'd love to hear if anybody has the inside scoop as to, was this an inside joke between the two groups or yeah. <laughs> is this the the record label that just had some stock audio that they said, well, we, we don't have to pay royalties. We already own this. Let's just use it again. Give a sample of what it sounds like and it's officially a track, but it's not a song. So here's what we're talking about. And then at the end, you hear uh, Nikki talk. See if I can find it. Yeah. I remember now. I remember how it started. Pull back just a sec. Let's get yeah, the course. last little bit of the nurse because what I think is awesome oh. is we hear her tending to him and you think she's just doing her job, but she leaves one last phrase before exiting and, oh, okay. and it turns everything on a dime and you realize even as a first time listen, okay, this isn't just a regular patient. This is something with a much darker story to tell. Hello? Hello? Perhaps you need another shot. Responsibility for the slaves. But police have a suspect in custody under observation uh, uh, at the state hospital. Should do it. Further investigation. Sports and weather. Sweet dreams. Oh, you right. bastard. Yeah, you bastard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now it ties in. You heard on the television a lot of these murders that have shocked the city, but a suspect is in custody. We don't even think much about it. We just think first time listening okay it's just news they're just filling in the background here's this nurse tending to somebody all of a sudden as she's walking out she's like sweet dreams you bastard so oh. does she work for dr x i guess no no uh, it's just someone who realizes this is a oh. someone who's been responsible for the murders in the city the killing priests killing religious leaders killing politicians and he's being held pending further investigation he's in a catatonic state he's being treated we don't know a whole lot at the beginning. We'll know by, more by the end. But I just think it sets such a wonderful tone to open this story. Uh, speaking of Molly Crew with the Dr. Feelgood album, which in a weird way is sort of like a concept album. It's about the drugs of the world and stuff. And it has a kind of an over arc throughout it. Not quite like this at all. But they stole, again, this part here. And they stole, before the Dr. Feelgood title track kicks in, kind of like a musical type of intro, then the mm -hmm. track kicks in. So I don't know. They must have – either that was just in the air of the time of bands or they heard this two years previous and copied it. <laughs> it took me forever to find out what the guy was saying when you hear the uh, the Anarchy X, just this drum beat, this march, which I think is just fantastic. It's it's a march that brings it a very militaristic tone, almost like a sense of underground army and underground revolution. But you hear someone – 
chanting to an audience, and it works perfect where you hear the entire crowd screaming back. If you listen very closely, and it's attributed to Dr. X holding a rally, okay. he's actually asking people, do we have freedom? Do we have equality? This country's changing. It's no longer for all the people. It is for some of the people. Ooh, wow. That's what they wrote in 1988, well, 87 into 88. Right. You could argue that would apply to today. All right, let's hear that. So right off the bat, you get each band member that plays the instrument kind of showcase a little bit of like, this is not your standard glam band metal song or metal album coming up. No, no, not at all. The jarring transition after, you know, Nikki does the voiceover of, I, I can't remember who I am. I, I just remember what, doing what they told me. And you hear the repeating echo, told me, told me. After the fourth told me, boom, we start with the drum. Notice how how tight that snare drum is. That was done on purpose. The engineer behind the, the record. By the way, this is one of the first truly digitally mixed albums. One of the first five right. albums right. that was mixed digitally. The guy that did it was uh, Jimbo Barton. He was hired to engineer it, and he worked on getting that snare drum just super, super tight. Like They wanted it to sound like a whip crack, mm. and they, they really tuned up the guitars because they really felt like they wanted the guitars to just really have a bite. The label, when they heard the, the mix... They were like, what the hell? This is horrible. This is like, listen to this attack. It's just, it's too loud. It's too, too in your face. You got you to mellow it out. Barton actually went face to face with the executives and said, you don't understand what we're telling here. He had to convince them to let the mix stand. Thank God he did. Could you imagine if they had tried to make it a more mellow sound and try right. to blend it better than what we get? The attack is so raw. I can't even imagine this album any other way. There's probably maybe one or two listeners who are coming on because you're here, which we uh, welcome you to the podcast, dear listeners, who are coming from your side of the podcast pond. Also, those who are Queensryche fans might be jumping on just this episode. And we want to say that the purpose of the Worst of the Best podcast is this is considered to probably be Queensryche's greatest achievement. So this is their best creative album maybe they've ever put together it's opinions but it's probably if you're to pull 1000 Queensryche fans it'd probably come up on top as the number oh, yeah. yeah what we're going to do is our job on this podcast what we do is it's easy to talk about the best but we're going to pick at the end independently of each other we're going to reveal at the end not during the discussion but at the end we're going to reveal what we feel was the worst song on this album now the worst song doesn't mean it's a horrible song necessarily. It just means not everything's created equal. It is an impossibility to say that everything's the same. There's a ranking. In your mind, there's a song that you like better than another song. You can't like everything the same. It's impossible. The challenge for this album, it's going to be difficult, is to pick the worst song. Now, the things that don't count would be a song, for example, like or a track like I Remember Now. It's not even a song. The other criteria is all the band members have to participate in the song for it to qualify as a quote-unquote song. Anarchy X, it's kind of on the border. I don't know if Jeff Tate's voice is used during that song at all. 
Not yeah. at all. He does, there's no singing in Anarchy X. It does bridge immediately into the opening song. You do hear him. Anarchy X is sort of a prelude to the yes. opening song. I would say it's like if you had this on tape, you would even – I don't even know if the tape cassette called it Anarchy X, did it? Like did it actually yeah. – yeah. oh, it did label it as a track. Okay. Because sometimes with the C- Yeah, because the CDH, sometimes with the CDH, they've broken some of the stuff down. Like uh, songs that weren't labeled as a track became a track with the CD error. Yeah, Anarchy X in my books is kind of just – it's combined with Revolution Call anyways so as we roll into it revolution calling is actually the third track but the first quote-unquote real song on the album correct yeah i would argue exactly the same okay now revolution calling was uh funny enough it was actually the second single (laughs) of this album because according to the story after this album came out they'd been touring for several months they still weren't headlining they were playing songs from this album as an opening act still and they finally convinced the studio to spend some money on a couple of videos and the two videos that they first released were i don't believe in love and eyes of a stranger oh yeah once they did that that album went platinum almost overnight and just finally propelled them to be a headliner right it because took, of music videos the mtv yeah. generation yeah it's, it is what it is yeah well it's like the modern well back then it was like that was our youtube that's kind of how you yeah. you mass exposed any band or artist was on the TV now it's on YouTube but it's it's fair it's how, it helps expose those who need, deserve exposing but it also exposes those who don't deserve it so it works both ways and we might be arguing a, a nuance here I'm talking about the first two videos versus a radio release the studio wanted to have hits they could release as a standalone song and in fact the eyes of a stranger what I, what bothers me about it because I love the CD mix the actual album song that to make it end for the video generation and for, for radio, they had to kind of like just let it fade out. And right. there's still a good minute and a half, almost two minutes of the song left. Right. But it wouldn't work on radio that way. There's a lot of producers that want money and they want wider audience and selling singles and selling uh, airplay. And that's what you have to do sometimes. All right. So here we go. The first quote unquote real, real track of the album. We'll play a little bit of the intro, uh, but I have, I actually did dog ear a couple little parts from each song, I think, which I thought stood out. But if you want to. Uh... I'm actually going to probably call out certain elements, techniques, or moments rather than the actual. I look at things lyrically, I look at things story wise. Please, yeah. I'm not a musician. I can't tell you. Why well, something either. is, yeah. you know, I, I don't know the keys, the octaves. My brother had, who's, by the way, in a sideline hard rock band bassist, so I, I tend to hear bass tracks a lot now because right. I pay attention more. Yeah. I have a music love. I have no music ability, and Me I too. hate it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I used to be upset about it, but a band without an audience is like a tree falling in a forest, right? Like, it's, sure, you know. Exactly. Whatever your creative pursuit, you could work your butt off to put out a play or put make a movie, but if nobody's there to watch it, what does it matter? It, you know, it's for an audience. Yeah, so I'm with you. I'm a music lover. I don't know how any of it works. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> if you're if you're listening to this episode to get a kind of insight on how this album was made or or uh, the musical process behind it or whatever, we're just here to talk about our feelings on it. I think that's pretty fair to say. Yeah. Okay.
So right there, this is our first intro of Jeff's uh, singing. And I, met, and I admit, when I first heard it, I was kind of like, oof, I don't know. And maybe some of our listeners of the podcast right now who haven't heard this album might feel the same way. Well, it did grow on me, but I don't like that term that it grew on me. I mean, it was painful. It's just once I understood how he sings and why he sings the way he does, and then the different types of singing, and it's just every song has a different flow, and it's expressed differently through every song. So now that I know Jeff Tate's style, that kind of singing, that's just what he is. So, But as the album progresses and as multiple listens, you're like, no, I do like his singing. I love his voice. And maybe that's just one of those things that just immediately hit me. There was never a... Uh, that moment of going, Ugh, I was so impressed with his voice, almost at the same registry of the screaming guitars. And yet he never screams. He right. can hold the note. It's just such a high, powerful note. You're just like, God, listen to that. It's just thousand watts just in his throat, you know? <laughs> I've earmarked a couple spots in the song where Chris DeGarmo, who I've never heard, like I didn't know his name. If you told me his name, you know, a month ago, I wouldn't know who that is. Shame on me, because this guy is a wicked guitarist. And everyone in the band, which I can't name off the top of my head, I apologize, but everyone else in the band, they're all accomplished, uh, amazing musicians, the five-piece that is in this band at this time for this album. Well, let's do that quickly. Let me just give the shout-out, because for those Queensryche fans, we know Jeff Tate, lead singer. You got your guitarist, Chris DeGarmo and Michael Wilton. Your bassist, Eddie Jackson, and I think the drummer has the absolute best name of a drummer in the history of drums, Scott Rockenfield. That's awesome. Is that his birth name? His last name? I have no idea if it changed, but his name on the <laughs> album, and I've, I've always known the band. You know, there are very few bands I can list all of the band members by heart. Queensryche is one of them, and That's awesome. I always loved Scott Rockenfield on drums. That's great. What a great last name. Now, I did queue up here DeGarmo's solo work on this song is really awesome and of course the rhythm guitar with uh, michael wilton is that right a great band has that rhythm guitar so when the solo kicks in i love to also listen to what the rhythm guitarist is doing because it really does support the solo i love this uh, solo here The rhythm guitar in the background is awesome. That chunky doom, doom, doom at the bass. And I missed this as a teenager. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> That's a wicked solo. <laughs> the greatest thing about this album is I think it falls in that category of nearly timeless. It doesn't sound to me like a song from the 80s or a band from mm-hmm. the 80s. You can put this in your rotation today and rock out just as hard as we did 25, 30 years ago. There is one song that does scream a little bit of its time. Kind of like, okay. oh, this is from the 80s. But yeah, but you're right. For overall, the album... Stay away from the music videos, too. <laughs> yeah, oh, the, the I don't like the videos. I get it was a product of his generation. Right. I don't like the actors in it. I don't like the way it was. As a videographer, what I do on my side business, as a someone who's got a background in film, acting, theater, I would have done a completely different video. Sure. I, I don't like any of them. The very last thing we heard in the voiceover before the Anarchy X was, I remember, I remember now, I remember how it started. I can't remember right. yesterday. I just remember doing what they told me. When this song starts, what would happen if this was a be- soundtrack to a movie? When you hear the strain of one guitar almost plucking away like we're going backwards in time, like that audio cue that you would hear to let you know, okay, we're going to rewind 
where we started to some previous point in time. And then you hear that entire intro. It sounds like we're unwinding the story, going back to the very beginning. And then we're going to catch up when it finally kicks in. The, the, the guitars really kick in. And the song starts. To me, that's like, okay, we have just musically traveled back in time to the beginning of the story. Well, I just recommend any, everyone who has any kind of interest in metal, hard rock, and they, like me, miss this album for whatever preconceived notions, our challenge and hope is that you go back and listen to this, yes. The chorus line that I wanted to call out, I think holds true, maybe even more true today than ever. I find myself saying it. I will just literally just say these lines out loud, where he says, I used to trust the media to tell us the truth, yeah. but now I seen the, I've seen the payoffs everywhere I look. Who do you trust when right. everyone's a crook? Right. It, it, it's such yeah. a powerful line from a progressive metal band for so-and-so, like, a, oh, they're just a bunch of metal bands screaming on their guitars. No, these lyrics are phenomenal. Yeah, and Jeff T. was 29 when he did this album. Well, and, youngish. Cause, cause he wasn't 40, 19, I'm, 20, 21. <laughs> no, I know, but even uh, anything in your 20s, because he wrote this when he was 28, 29, and this was already their fourth album. Right. And because I was always a writer at heart, I was always had that creative side, your young creative juices. You don't know enough. In other words, I think Jeff Tate took on this monumental challenge but was just young enough to not realize what he was trying to do. He was just dumb enough to be able to pull it off. Because when you get older, you start having second guesses because you've lived through things. You start thinking, oh, I can't make this work. It's too hard. It's too complex. We're not going to pull this off. When you're young, you tend to think, I can do anything. And thank God, because that's why we have this album. Yeah, you know, good points. Love it. Okay, now the title track is track four, Operation Mindcrime. There is a part where you're going to hear the bass right around the, the lyric, watch the dragon burn. And I think that is a lyrical note to let you know that that's the cue that we're talking about. Whatever the drug, whether it's heroin, they don't really call it. They just call it like watching the dragon burn. But they never really say what it is that Nikki's addicted to. But that's sort of like the audible clue. Every time we kind of hear that again, it's about him taking a hit, doing drugs. This is important to note. We get that Dr. X, the code word. That's right. Now that he's manipulated Nikki, he's had him under his control in the first song, that the code word to trigger him to do an assassination is mind crime. Hello? There you go, yeah. That's Dr. X's and I voice. Love, you hear the song like coming through the phone. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. But that's Dr. X uh, calling him saying mind crime. So now he's a he's a soldier ready to ready to do the bidding. Yep. It's so a great intro. Uh, I love that heavy, chunky bass. You can hear that bass. Oh, yeah. You can hear just the bass, just that thump, that thud. It's ominous. You suddenly realize we're stepping into the very dark world of assassination.
That's a wicked solo. Yeah. Okay. So if you want to back up maybe about 10 seconds prior to that, you're okay. going to hear that little bass signature when he says, I had a habit doing mainline, watch the dragon burn and listen to the doo 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 Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, that's awesome. And it's always tied to in this song, and then you kind of get a variant later. Anytime it has to do with him being either doing drugs or oh. having been under the influence of the drug, you get sort of that little, just a little audio signature. That's it's like the drug theme. <laughs> Play the drug theme. That's the kind of stuff you get from multiple, multiple listens of. Uh, that's great. What a good catch. A couple things I want to talk about lyrically in this song. In the second verse. Dr. X basically tells Nikki, by the way, I'm going to send someone over to bring you what you need. And then you get the doo-doo-doo-doo again. Oh, okay. And it's, it, it's laying the foundation for Nikki doesn't necessarily work all by himself. And right. this is where Mary will eventually come into play. She's the one who's been asked to bring Nikki's fix to him to keep him hooked. So that way he doesn't like go through DTs or something where he becomes now uncontrollable. He has to stay now fixed on this drug. Nikki gets this phone call that says, hey, here's a gun. You go wait by the phone, but we're going to send someone over to bring you what you need. You're that one man death machine to make this city bleed. There you go. And it just sets the whole tone for where he's going to go from now on. He is, as you said, he is the soldier in this underground revolution, getting ready to start taking people out. Now, speak, I should say, we should talk about the storyline for that. Now, is this Nikki now starting to believe himself? He's kind of like being conditioned to believe what he's actually being to controlled me, to do? You, when you listen to this, because I, and I want to play the part when we get to it, there is a, a place where you kind of get his entire political belief at this point, talking about the seven years of power, the corporation claw, the rich control, the government, the media, the law. And then he believes, he goes, I'm here to make some kind of difference. Then everyone must know it's to eradicate the fascists. Revolution will grow. I mean, that is pretty much Dr. X's mantra now being played in Nikki's head. He's believing what he's been told to believe. Right. We're going to see the character evolve and realize he's been controlled, no pun intended. He's been manipulated. But right now, we get a clear sense Nikki truly has bought into exactly Dr. X's philosophy. Okay, so I'm going to play a bit of the intro, but then I'm going to roll right into about a minute and a half into it as well. I love that intro. It kicks you in the teeth right away. And as a, like I said, as a hard rock metal fan growing up, I was like, oh man, this I don't know why I wouldn't have listened to this as a kid. I was shocked when you said you hadn't even listened to it ever. Like this was no. going to be your first time yeah. listen as an adult. That opening to me, again, I think very much in terms of visual filmmaking, what's happening on the screen if this was the soundtrack. And it just feels like a Chris Nolan energy, energy, energy. We're just yeah. gonna, like, we're charging forward now. Like he's been released. We get a sense his first target is a religious target because religion's to blame for half the problems in this world. So now, guess what? I'm the new messiah. I'm the death angel with a gun. And I love it because it just it hits the ground charging. There is no holding back. There's no hesitation. He's bought all in. Seven years of power, the corporation crawl, the rich 
That's just great. I love the tone of the solo there. Okay, because you could almost use this, some of the more radical movements in the world today, especially in the United States, because the lines, for those folks who maybe you have to get your ear accustomed to Jeff Tate, in the United States, the system we learn says we are equal under law. There is no two-tiered system or three-tiered. We're supposed to all be equal right. under the law. Of course. And he continues, but the streets are reality. The weak and poor will fall. Let's tip the power balance, tear down their crown, educate the masses, we'll burn the White House down. This is exactly what Dr. X likely does in his mass public speeches, his protests about the government. It's the White House's fault. It's the media's fault. It's the power brokers of the world. We're all together as poor. We're all manipulated. But you know what? If we educate ourselves and we go after them and we pull them out of power, then we can have a better world. All right. And you can hear that in Nikki's thoughts. He believes this. I wanted to get a sample there too of that chorus yeah. sound where he does oh. that high and then he awesome. overlays his voice underneath with, and, and then it goes that low uh, speak the word <laughs> I love that and, then, and, and the word is revolution That's but right. I love this idea whatever Dr. X is saying it's awakening something within the audience you're speaking to me that's what the problem with the world is. Yes, I finally get it. I, you know, you get the sense of anybody who can woo a crowd or whip people up into a frenzy. You feel like that leader is speaking to what you didn't know how to articulate yourself. Lyrically, musically, Queensryche captures that sense of a charismatic leader, whether for good or bad, has this ability to speak to that inner voice within you and get you to become a believer. Nice. Look at you. This is why I have rotating guest hosts, because everyone's better than me at this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, stop. When no. you have as much useless education in literature and, and poetry and stuff that I had, and my, and my parents are like, what are you going to do with that degree? I'm like, well, I don't know. I love to read. I love to write. Like, yeah, but you don't need to go to school to read and write. What are you going to do with that degree? Answer. You're going to guest host on the worst of the best podcast. That's what you're yes, going to do. Yes, there we go. Who yeah. knew 20 years ago? <laughs> it's all coming together. <laughs> your, life is, your life is complete now. Uh, what uh, do we do now? Oh, now, no. this song coming up. <laughs> Do you want to talk about spreading the disease, what it's about before we sample it? So spreading the disease, I love this song because now, story-wise, there's going to be a partner to Nikki or, or somebody who's going to help support Nikki. This is actually going to be the story of Mary. We're going to get her right. background. Talking about spreading the disease, we're talking about how, especially in American society, because it's not necessarily the same in Europe, about how we all love the idea of sex and sex is tantalizing and whether it's pornography or whether it's used to sell products or whatever it's there and yet especially in the 80s when this came out and i think maybe even still to this day it's still kind of a dirty thing you're not supposed right. to talk about it you're not supposed to acknowledge that it's there but it is and it is a powerful human emotion and mm -hmm. we find out that so many people are hush hush quietly maybe they're looking at porn when nobody's around or they're doing things that they wouldn't necessarily want people to know about in the light of day. In some sense, you're still spreading that disease, this idea that there's this rot or this corruption underneath, but we can't help it because we're all drawn to it. We may not talk about it. There's a whole group of people, and Mary is one of them, that gets pulled into that world. And because there's an audience for pornography, an audience for the perverse, it causes people that 
are on the streets or whatever or, or need, they're in dire straits, they end up getting pulled into that world and now they become sort of the target of what all of us want to just kind of keep quiet. Someone still has to be the person that's posing for the pictures or in the movies or performing the sexual acts. And this is where we meet Mary. All right. Awesome. Now, for me, as a first-time listener of the album, <laughs> what I, I had a very limited – I read the, actually read the Wikipedia storyline before I, before I listened to the music. Just so when I was reading the lyrics along with my play uh, playing of it, I would know a little bit what's going on. But anyways, when this song kicked in, though, right away, I was like, oh, this is my favorite song. This, I was just like, I don't care what the story is. I don't care. This is a song with this, at the end of the day, the music alone was so kick-ass, the way the song's put together. Every now and then there's a song that right away you're like, oh, it's my favorite song. Other songs have grown on me, which I love when songs grow because then they just get better. This was a first-time listen, right-away favorite. And let's check out the intro. Maybe you, dear listener, will see why Ryan, on a first-time listen, loved this song right away. Here we go. I love that cymbal crash. That cymbal crash, the drum at the beginning, that and then oh, just, that tribal yeah, beat, yeah. almost like we're getting, we're going into some jungle setting. Which, of course, we've always heard that the the streets are like an urban jungle yeah. where it may not be jungle, like we're lost in the in the Amazon, but it's every bit as dangerous as what we think of in traveling the dark areas of the jungle. Then Jeff Tate's vocal change when it kicks in just a little bit higher. The chorus borrows a little bit from the speak sound, a little bit that same type of spreading the disease as the chorus, but it's almost like a companion piece to the speak chorus. Right. Lyrically, at the very beginning, the first verse is really Nikki once again talking about here. She always brings me what I need. Without, I beg and sweat and I and bleed. In other words, she has to bring the drug fix. And, you know, when they're waiting for the call, she feeds my skin. In other words, she even injects it for him. Make sure that he gets the right dose. Right, right. That's and awesome. then the next verse, the first line is 16 and on the run from home. And I love it. We realize she's been living on the streets, working live at S&M shows for 25 bucks. John's a happy man, basically. She's, she'll take care of you in the alley for 25 bucks. So where's this location again? i got to write this down. Where, where, it's, where do we go? <laughs> where does Mary work? $25. I think 25. I, I confront well, that. Oh, okay. I guess there's inflation now. Okay, i got to work that out. All right, forget it. And because we're going to get a wonderful, just really long, but just powerfully complex and just musically delightful song with Sweet Sister Mary. She wipes the filth away and back on the street again. This is a kid who never was given a chance. Right. And the one glimmer of escape through Nikki ends up falling. It's what actually mentally and psychologically destroys Nikki later in the album. We're getting a sense of tragic, tragic character, and yet somebody that's that's so important to the story of Nikki. 
you're like the uh, history buff when it comes to songs. I'm more of <laughs> the uh, just what the songs reminds me of. There's a couple songs that reminds me of other bands, weirdly enough. But again, this is Bon Jovi kind of copying Queensryche. Now, they did a song, I think it was 1990, 91. They did the song Keep the Faith. Mm-hmm. And there's a part in this song where you'll hear Jeff Tate do a kind of a speak part. And I know it's like, oh, yeah, bands have done this before, but not as often as you think in the way that this is done. Jeff Tate lowers his voice, does this kind of speak part that's, that Keep the Faith is bang on the same. Would it surprise you that the producer of this album is a guy by the name of Peter Collins, okay. whose couple of albums that he produced around the same time would have been both Power Windows and Hold Your Fire for Rush and These Days for Bon Jovi? Okay, so there's a little bit of a Bon Jovi connection. Though a different album, there's still some sort of connection. But the producer worked on this album that also worked on that one. This is the speak part I'm talking about. Religion and sex are power plays. Manipulate the people for the money they pay. Selling skin, selling God. The numbers look the same on their credit cards. Love that! I love oh, that. It's awesome! Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to stop, but <laughs> I know. I, I know I, you could legitimately play all the songs. I know it. we can't do that for the show, but it's like I'm sitting here singing along. I'm just oh god, it's awesome! I love that um, speak part and the way that this builds up the the guitar and then uh, Jeff Tate with the high vocal. That it's a great chorus. And it's just it's yeah. I love just the construction of religion and sex are power plays. They manipulate the people for the money they pay, selling skins, selling God. The numbers look the same mm. on their credit cards. Mm-hmm. And that always hit me. I was like, it doesn't matter if you're buying sex or you're donating to a religious cause. Nobody cares as long as you've got the credit card and you can spend the money. It's the same. Yeah. One of the things that was cool about going to see them live when they were on their Empire tour they actually updated the words here because when they mm. talk about while we paid for wars in South America, right. that was a direct reference to the Iran hearing and the right. scandal of, of giving money to the Sandinistas. They updated it because we were in the midst of the first Gulf War. Okay. And so when they were on tour, they said, well, we get to pay for wars in Saudi Arabia. The other lyrics I want to get to because think about today, what people believe today, especially if you think you're disenfranchised, you feel like the government doesn't really care about you fighting fire with empty words are politicians right while the banks get fat and the poor stay poor and the rich get rich and the cops get paid to look away as the one percent rules america yeah well some foresight on uh, jeff here but i or you could just argue if things are just never changing the youth are always convinced that everything's horrible you get these same mm. messages and as you grow up or as you start to experience more of the world you realize it's not as black and white as right. what it sounds like initially. Okay, great songs for in the D. I mean, they're all great songs. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but that, that one in particular does it right away bl- blew me out of the water, and it, is, and it continues to grow on me as, as I've listened to it. So the next one is The Mission. What's the story on The Mission? This is track seven. 
the mission is a story about being sent on, yeah, sent on a mission, right? If we look at the opening lyrics, this is the last song, by the way, if you had a cassette, this would close out the first side oh, wow. of the record. And it starts off actually with a little interlude where you hear a television evangelist speaking. Uh, he references the 1972 ABM Treaty. I love the line beforehand, before he shoots the television, when he says, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I love the line you hear of the televangelist saying, I want you to reach deep into your hearts and your pocketbooks and take his hand. As if the way you win Jesus isn't just because you look in your heart. You also got to send me a check. Sure. <laughs> No, and, uh, you remember in the 80s during the whole Tammy yeah. Faye Baker yeah. and the, that whole era? That was big in the news. You know, yep. these she's crying with her mascara, her mascara running down her face as she cries. Yeah. I yeah. mean, there were a lot of scandals with televangelists in the 80s, and so that made its way through the album. But I, I would still argue religion is a way to control people. For good or bad, it's a way of controlling people. Absolutely. And that's a theme in this album. Tonally, this song as it opens, Nikki is starting to go. Jesus, what have I signed up for? At some mm. point, why haven't we made the changes? I've killed so many people. He's going to talk about candles, and you realize that every candle represents a person he's killed, and his room is filled with them. He feels like, Jesus, well, when is it enough? At some point, haven't I killed everybody that's been the problem? How come we're still dealing with the same issue? And that's the whole coming to awareness slowly of it's not as simple as a black and white thing. It's not just... Hey, we'll label it a 1% issue. Hey, we'll label it a rich-poor issue. Hey, we'll label, we'll label it a race. It's not. There's a lot more complexity in the, in the world and life, and Nikki is finally realizing, maybe I've been played. Informing Washington, a technical violation of the 1972 ABM Treaty. I'm asking for hands to be uplifted in just a moment. God the Holy Ghost is calling out to embrace you. I want you to reach deep to your hearts and your and take his hand. Some Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. In the wooden chair beside my window, I'll wear a face born in the falling rain. Talk to shadows from a lonely candle Recite the phrases from the wall I can't explain You kind of feel the tension rise with that acoustic guitar buildup. I love that. And I love Jeff's low singing here too. And it just shows, it shows you like, hey, I can sing low too, guys. Check it out. But it fits the song, of course. That's why he does it. It's great. This is sort of the voice of Father William. Just before he shoots the television, wherever Father William is broadcasting, he says, some of you are in a state of rebellion right now. And it feels like you're calling out to what nikki has been causing and maybe others within Dr. X's army that there's an upheaval going on. There's people being killed. There's turmoil. And the priest narration continues on where he says... Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I think he knows who Father Williams is. And, and you hear Father saying, you're saying that. And all of a sudden, he shoots the television. Right. It's almost like I want to kill this person that's controlling Mary because here he is acting like such a good person. But we know the previous song, Spreading the Disease, that Father William has his way with Mary whenever he needs his own sexual release. 
And there you go. There's that line I was talking about. Looking at yeah. his room, he lights a candle, which is, again, another religious allegory imagery right. there. I light a candle for everyone I've killed, and his room is filled with them. The imagery is amazing, and that soul, I think, is one of the better souls on the album. And notice how it feels so depressed. Mm-hmm. Like, you get an emotional feeling of what Nikki is going through. There's a couple of different choruses in this, but one that I love is as he's trying to maybe come to terms with what he's done and is there still a greater good here or am I fooled? He says the line, my mission saved the world and I stood proud. My mission changed the world. It turned my life around. It's like he's trying to convince himself, I'm still doing the right thing, right? I mean, I should be proud about what I've done, right? right? That's good. I love it. It's awesome. Now, the next song for our listeners who might not know this is called, it was track eight and you're saying this is the opener of side two? I believe that was the case when I got this record. Yeah, or this tape. I've got it listed as one through seven, tracks one through seven on one side, eight through 15 the other. Okay, this song is almost 11 minutes long. And this is unheard of for a metal band. When I grew up listening to metal band stuff, of course, I listened to Molly Cruz, the ACDCs, the Aerosmiths, and we didn't have 11 minute songs. So this, but there's a lot of bands now that I know they started off in like late 90s, early 2000s. There's a lot of symphonic metal bands. I don't know how far back they go. Do you know how far back they go? Or is Queensryche kind of one of the first metal bands to introduce the symphony sound? One of the producers on this album that would work with Queensryche later and had done some stuff early with them like on Rage for Order had also produced some Pink Floyd. And No, there was a huge Pink Floyd influence in terms of their previous album. Even though it was a prog metal sound, there was still somebody in the background saying, here's how Floyd told their stories. Here's how Floyd did their musical journeys for the audience. I think this might be a pioneer album. Because Sweet Sister Mary, it has choir singing. We have keyboards, which sounds like that heavy keyboard in a church-type organ playing. It's a play on words. So when we say Sweet Sister Mary, phonetically, it sounds like Sweet Sister. Like, she's sweet, she's kind, she's a nice person, she's sweet, she's innocent. But it's Sweet, S-U-I-T-E, which I think is a play on words for us as a listening to this on the album, that there's a lot of different, like a musical suite, there's a lot of different parts to this song. Oh, absolutely. Well, without a doubt, it's the most complex song on the album in terms of timing changes, music shifts. Mm-hmm. It's telling a story. It actually brings in a second singer. We talked about already that the part of Mary will be sung by Pamela Moore. I want to call out the Latin chanting is actually from the Catholic mass that is used for the day of wrath, talking mm. about the coming of judgment, the end of the day. It's called the Dies Irae. Verdi. Uh, Verdi's Requiem uses a very similar chant from this. It would have been back in the 15, 1600s when this Gregorian chant was initially written. Actually, I think back to the 13th century called Day of Wrath, which is about the second coming of Christ and Judgment Day. Very specifically, even if you didn't understand it musically, they picked this because it's about coming to terms with having to reach some end judgment. Am I going to breakaway? Am I going to follow my orders? Am I going to do something for the first time on my own? It's very much about, well, all of this is starting to reach some pinnacle, some threshold, and we have no idea which way Nikki's going to go. Like I said, this is a 10-minute song, but I have two parts that showcase at least the symphonic metal that I think is the earliest. This is 1988. I don't know how many other bands were doing this like this sound before then. So I'd be interested to hear those bands. They see because it has to start somewhere, right? And actually, it's cool because it does have that interlude. It's Doctor X 
informing Nikki, guess what? I got a job for you. You got to kill Mary. Oh, by right. the way, kill the priest as well. Yeah. <laughs> and Nikki can't wrap his mind around it. In fact, I almost get a Hitchcockian feel at the very beginning musically. It's almost like we're in a psycho thriller where he's falling apart mentally. And the music captures that because he begins wandering the streets aimless in the rain, not knowing what to do. And for our listeners, you're going to hear what I think is just, it's just a different sound. It's just, it shows you how complex the song is and just how different this album is amongst their metal peers of the day. Faces, their names, she can't How does that choir build up and then it kicks into the uh, to the guitar right after? Oh, musically, it's genius. This will be part one of a two-part conversation where Nikki tries to then convince Mary, look, we're done. I've been sent to kill you. <laughs> we right. got to leave. You're done. You can't stay where you are. And she doesn't want to leave. The, the rest of the band, when they sing, there's an underlying almost mirroring of that Gregorian chant with the lyrics both in this verse and then the next time when they continue to have this back and forth conversation where he's trying to convince her, you've been found out, I'm supposed to kill you, but we need to get away now. Let's try to get out of here. And oh, by the way, I might have to kill Dr. X for us to both live. If you hear the lines where you hear the band say, they made you pay in guilt for your salvation. Sounds like you're in church hearing the chant, but it's instead of being Latin, it's English. And then the next time is, my faith is growing, growing tight against the seam. It's chanted underneath, and then Jeff Tate comes in with the next line. It's still telling the same lines. It's still Jeff Tate trying to convince Mary, or Jeff Tate Nikki trying to convince Mary. But lyrically, you hear the rest of the band singing underneath as if they're still chanting a mass. It's oh, awesome. Man. Yeah, it is awesome.
what I love is you hear her basically saying, she's, she's trying to convince him, you know what, if you've been sent to kill me, do it. She says, you know, don't turn your back on what I've done wrong in my life because the blood of Christ can't heal my wounds. Mm. The sins of man are all I taste. I can't spit the memory from my mind. I can't, I can't cry anymore. Every time I hear her sing that, it's like an emotional reaction to me. I feel like, oh my God, she's been through, her whole life has just been... Was that her singing or was that Jeff singing? That's her. No, that's her singing right oh, there. Oh, okay. I was going to say that because that's really high. Okay. <laughs> but you know what? Because Jeff Tate's voice is so high for the longest yeah. time, I thought he was singing both parts. Okay. And that was Pamela Moore playing the part of Mary. Oh, okay. That's cool. Okay. Okay. I'll, there you go. I'm educated on that. I appreciate that. Get the lyrics in front of you because sometimes it gets lost because it is mm-hmm. high and there's so much happening, but she's begging him, well, I would rather you kill me than to be killed by somebody else or maybe tortured or be made to be a sex slave for the rest of my life. I just want it over. I can't cry anymore. I've, I'm disconnected from me as a, as a human being. Nikki doesn't want to do it, obviously. He wants to try to rescue her. Almost well, it was 10 and a half, almost 11 minute uh, song. I recommend everyone to go listen to it because there's just so much to go through. You can almost have a whole podcast oh, yeah. probably on that song. Now, the needle eyes comes in. Before we play, what's the needle eyes about? At this point, Dr. X doesn't know whether or not Nikki has killed Mary. He has killed the priest. He's admitted that in the last song. But we know that there was the back and forth exchange. But he is jonesing for a fix. Nikki realizes, I'm falling off the edge. I'm trying to get Mary out of here. But I need to go back to Dr. X to at least get a fix because I'm so addicted and I need it. And while he's there, he decides, I want out. I'm done. I've done your last job. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Maybe trying to buy them time to get away. He tries to tell him, look, I've done it, but I need out. I want out. And then Dr. X is like, you can't walk away. In this song, Nikki realizes if I don't stop my addiction, I will always be controlled by him. He says, when I try to scrape away the tracks that mark me, it serves two purposes. It's literally trying to make sure there's not a path for you to follow. I'm trying to scrape away the path. I'm also trying to scrape away the needle tracks that mark me. I'm a drug addict. Mm. Later, he even says, I have to carve a word into my arm, and that word is lies. So that way, the next time I think I need a fix, I'm going to look and go, no, no. Anytime I've put the needle Mm. in my arm, it lies. I had to literally carve the word lies into my arm to be a visual reminder to keep me from ever going back to Dr. X. All right. Wow. Awesome. Now, this is the song that reminded me, or the one song that I would say has, it hasn't aged poorly, but it reminded me of the 80s and early 80s uh, metal. Now, speaking of Molly Crew, so we've talked about how I think Molly Crew has kind of copied some of the format of this album for the Dr. Feelgood album. Though I think Queensryche, Chris DeGarmo, he may have been a Molly Crew fan for all we know. We've got the Nikki reference, of course, that Jeff Tate might have used with the heroine. The beginning part of the song plays the same way of a song by Molly Crew from their Shout of the Devil. So this came out five years before, which in a weird, it seems like a long time, but nowadays it doesn't seem like long at all. <laughs> five years. <laughs> I'm going to play the beginning part of the song called Red Hot. It came out and uh, it's one of my favorite Molly Crew songs ever. And it came out in their 83 album. You know the song, right? I love it. Okay. Shout the, yeah. Okay. So tell me you don't hear... The Need of Lies, the same type of strum buildup. It's just, it's subtle, it's there, but I, I think, I think there's a similarity. Check it out. That part.
Okay, so you heard that okay. strumming there. Now keep that yep. strumming tone in mind. Now we'll roll right into the needle lies beginning. Right. <laughs> what do you think? Oh, I could hear a very similar, that concussive. Uh, yeah. It, it, I'm sure other songs have it, but because of that pick scrape across the, the string to get into the song, and then the guitar rhythm has a very similar feel. There, it's not it's not no for no, but when I was hearing this, like, what song is that? It's one of those things, what song is that? What song is that? Like, oh. Yeah, I think it's the beat has more, mm. I think it's the exact same beat. I think so, time, maybe. I the hear beat, the yeah. similarity. It's almost like if you were to flip the strumming, it's almost like the strumming's in reverse, but it's the same beat, yeah. Not a criticism at all, but definitely accidental homage to that same kind of like that drum, drum beat with that, that zoom, yeah. Do, do, zoom. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's great. It's, it's well, yeah. Great. Who's complaining, right? It's more, more of the <laughs> more of the same great stuff. Sure. I love when the band and the good bands do this. They don't wait for the solo kind of time, but they, you know, I'm going to throw in a little mini little the solo. I love that. Yeah, great, great. Oh, I'm sitting here rocking in my chair. I know. I don't want to stop. <laughs> it's always the hardest part about doing these. But yeah, go on. The next verse, I love the line. It took me forever to try to figure out lyrically what was being, well, it's in my head, this is what I think is happening. After he scrapes away the tracks that mark him, it's that it's both literal and figurative. The tracks on his arm from this drug addiction, trying to scrape that away, trying to make sure nobody can follow me. He says, I slammed my face into walls of concrete. I stared, amazed at the words written on the wall. He's not really running face into a wall. Mm. He's coming face to face with the idea of seeing the word revolution spray painted here or there on a piece of paper, wherever you're seeing it and realizing it's a lie. Just like the needle has always lied to me. Mm. The idea of revolution, yeah. it's every bit as much of a lie. Frustrating. <laughs> Poor Nikki. Poor Nikki. Yeah. yeah. And I love that part. Now, do they ever get that kind of heavy again? Is that something they ever reinvestigate? That's a heavy chord progression there. It's great. Some of their earlier things, earlier albums would have similar sounds, but this is certainly the heaviest, just driving song on the track. You could almost imagine using double bass drums here. It's just, it's a pounding, great song yeah. that lyrically still is advancing the story. And there's a lot being said underneath, but at the same time, you could just headbang and mosh to this song. It's oh. just this is just a great metal song. It surprised me. I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> this is this is awesome!" It's and a I driving love the song. Timing change. It's heady, and then it, it goes back to the beginning and brings back that initial drum beat from yep. the very opening. Yeah, amazing stuff. All right, so now we have a, we're back to our little mini tracks. This is Electric Requiem. It's mm -hmm. just 
kind of a segue between this and breaking the silence. Is there the story behind this, though? I almost feel like we should let it play out and then let me talk about it. It's not very long. No. It's basically Nikki deciding to go back to the church because he tried to buy time for Mary to get away. He went to go see Dr. X. He needed a fix, and he tried to get out of it. But he's going to see, did Mary leave? And we realize Mary is dead. I fully believed when I was a kid, when I first heard this, that Dr. X killed her. But then it took a long time really listening to the lyrics of Sweet Sister Mary when she was begging Nikki to kill her and he wouldn't do it, that she actually ended up killing herself. Mary? very cool the whole thing is just cool <laughs> and to me this is actually a song because everybody did something on it sure. Jeff Tate sings on it it's an interlude because we needed a moment to tell the story without necessarily having to dedicate an entire song like a full three four five minute length song that Mary is dead and Nikki's world has collapsed on itself his last lines that he sings I want what you feel believe me turn the current on He's basically wishing he would be in the electric chair and that, that he would be dead. He just wants to die himself. That the only way he'll be happy is meeting Mary in the afterlife. Awesome. Track 12, I Don't Believe in Love. If you re- read this title track, you might think, oh, we're going to have a ballad here. But no, there's no ballads on this album. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> the closest slow song we get was the beginning of the mission, really. That was it. Yeah. So here we go with uh, I Don't Believe in Love. What is this one about? Okay, so in this song, we're continuing the story, is he's trying to convince himself that the only way to get over his pain of Mary being gone is I never really loved you. In fact, I don't even believe in the idea. Oh, sorry, I skipped skipped one. I skipped breaking the silence. My bad. Did we go past one? Yeah, yeah, that's okay. So we'll just uh, go. Yeah, we did. Okay, yeah. yeah. Breaking the silence. Exit that out. Okay. I know it's taking longer than you expect, but this is such a great album. (laughs) No no, no problem. Okay, so uh, breaking the silence. What's the background on that one? As we move here, he's trying to get away. He's trying to leave the world behind him, everything. He realizes Mary is gone. He can't face her death. He still thinks he hears her. He thinks, and maybe this that psychological thing of maybe she's not dead. Maybe I'll still run into her somewhere. That weird humanity thing that we try to still believe in hope, even though we know concretely she's dead. Mm-hmm. He's trying to reconcile all of this his coming off of his addiction trying to get away from this underground revolution knowing he's being pursued maybe there's somebody out now that's going to kill him mary's gone he's lost he's screaming for her in the night where are you you know why did you leave me (laughs) 
just wanted to mention the uh, the bass there as well. Yeah, great bass line. I've appreciated the bass more as I've gotten like when I first you know listened to metal, rock and roll, the stuff. It's of course everyone's always about the the electric guitar, the solos and stuff. But you once you get by the way, you were not playing "Breaking the Silence." I, my apologies. <laughs> I was like, all right, I didn't want to interrupt. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why is the bass so? I, why didn't I make a note of the bass for this one? Because I did for the breaking. The, that's why. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Breaking <laughs> the silence. Here we go. The intro. Actually, still stands for this song, the bass. <laughs> oh, what a thump! It's driving, and you once again you get that same sense of the music is telling a, a lyrical version of what's happening in the story. He's just pounding this pavement, trying to just figure out where he is in the world. It's, it's the one song that sounded a little bit more unlike the rest of the album and not in a, not necessarily in a again not in a bad way it's still a great song it sounded like if you were just to show me this song outside of the concept part it just sounds like a what you would hear at this time type sound to the song i don't know if that's making sense but it kind of broke the concept part it didn't feel like the rest of the album mm. it's really hard when you think about it to try to make sure every single right. song is telling part of that story lyrically it is yeah no lyrically, lyrically yes yeah musically i get it it's almost feels like it was written to be maybe a radio hit <laughs> yeah maybe Stick i do love though the chorus which is where the the song gets its name from yeah and this really is is telling to nikki's state of mind because the reason it's called breaking the silence of the night is because he's screaming where are you mm. and he's like i look for your face in the neon light but you never answer me psychologically those lyrics are just wonderful he's still not coming to grips with the reality of her death
wicked. Oh, good stuff. And actually, when you hear just that one piece by itself, it does feel like it belongs on the album. It's yeah, when you listen yeah. to the open maybe as a as a whole, but it's hard for me to say that any one song should doesn't really work. If you have to be completely analytical about it, then right, yeah, you right. can sort of argue. Just that beginning part, I think it was that thirty seconds at the when yeah. the Jeff singing at the very beginning. But yeah, you're right. The solo and the chorus definitely then kind of eases itself back into the uh, album. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I do love the fact that Nikki's going through this because it does set up the next song. Right now, he still has some crazy hope that he'll run into her maybe she wasn't dead maybe somebody came behind him when he left and paramedics revived her and she's somewhere and he'll run into her again because he's calling for her and she won't answer and he's trying to say well if you were back with me everything would be fine we'd be good everything's good if you just have to show back up and and i'll be fine you'll be fine we'll be great and it's that whole lying to yourself because you can't come to grips with reality yet now we already played a little bit of i don't believe in love maybe for editing purposes it might just make more sense just, uh, yeah, we played a little bit at the beginning already, folks. Sorry about that. But you haven't talked about what it's about, though, right? So with I Don't Believe in Love, is it goes back to the theme of if I can't find you and I have to come with come to grips with the idea that you're gone, you know what? I never really cared about you anyway, so it's not going to bother me. Nah. You know, it's that, again, it's that denial, the stages of grief we go through. He's still in that phase of it goes from denial to anger. Uh, he's not at right. acceptance yet. Right. He wants to say, you know what? Okay, fine. You want to check out on me? You know what? I never cared about you anyway. Right. And that's where he is here. There is a baseline moment in this song that I really quite enjoy. stuff (laughs) yeah what i really love about this song is it opens up we realize he's actually already been caught Mm. he's trying to come to grips with the fact of her abandoning him after he's been found handcuffed and blind at the scene you hear that little of the high i don't know if it's the the hi-hat or whatever yeah hit and i always thought of it and maybe it's because i've seen the music video Two guys basically slapping him around, and that's the slap across the face every time I hear that. Oh, okay, you know, okay. It's just like he's being interrogated, and while he's being interrogated, he's trying to, in his head, saying, she must have lied. She never said goodbye, so how could she have ever loved me? So therefore, I don't love her. You were hearing the duality of what's happening on the surface of being interrogated while deep in his mind, he's having this argument with himself. Well, I don't really miss her anyway. She's gone. She didn't say goodbye. She left me. I don't care. I don't believe in love anyway. I can see why this song was a single. It's I, I don't like the term radio friendly, but I get why this song would be a single because you know if someone's in the car listening to it or on MTV or or whatever, they like, go, oh, you know what, I dig this. I kind of dig this. And singles are designed to be palatable to a general wide audience for people to come in to get the deep cuts. Is essentially what they're hoping for. 
Now, there is a guitar solo. I don't know if you've got that mark oh, before we get to a line that actually has a French term, and it comes back with no chance for contact. There's no raison d'etre. I love that guitar solo when it ends and it's like a it's almost like you can hear the police sirens as if that's kind of weighing in i love this french term uh it took me again as a kid sure like what's he saying no no raisin debt yeah sure raisin debt it's raisin d'etre but it's the raison debt is actually a term that means what's my reason for existence Mm. so basically if i can't contact you ever again if we're never going to see each other again what's my purpose for even being here? Awesome stuff. Now we got two kind of interlude tracks in a row. We got Waiting for 22, and it rolls into My Empty Room. Now, Waiting for 22, it's just, I think it's just really guitars. It's, it's an instrumental. Yeah. What's the uh, vision that we're supposed to be seeing here as it plays? So I struggled with this one, and it wasn't until about a day ago. Before you start, before you start, I'm going to turn down the volume a little bit. And let's see if we just play in the background while you're talking about what it is, because it's just an instrumental. Here we go. Let's see if okay. this is too loud. Okay. So I struggled with this for a little bit because I couldn't figure out the name of the song. Why I call it Waiting for 22. Now, I had in my background being in the military and having read a lot of the political thrillers and, and assassins, I thought, well, a 22 is a caliber, and a lot of assassins will use a 22 caliber pistol because it's just powerful enough when used at short range, you can hit someone in the head with it, but the bullet won't go through the head. It'll roll around Mm. and basically scramble someone's brain, but not leave a big mess, won't blow their head off. It'll just be a very disguisable wound. You could actually walk up to somebody, pop them twice in the head with a 22, walk away, and nobody would know anything. Mm. Is that why it's called waiting for 22? Now he's waiting for someone to come assassinate him. And honestly, I still believe that deep down like in my story writing side but then i i read a comment from someone on one of the youtube lists of comments that said that he thinks it was either jeff tate or chris degarmo said in an interview i thought i would know everything i ever needed to know about the world when i hit the age of 22 and that (laughs) once i hit 22 all the answers would be there i would have all of the like the keys to the kingdom would be open for me and then you realize when you hit 22 you really don't know anything still from the story I think it's still, I like the idea that it was written sure. about the caliber. That's dark, by the way. <laughs> That's dark. I like it. Yeah. But this is a dark story. So I, your story idea, have you read that anywhere else? Your, your story oh, idea? Yeah. Uh, That's a typical, any assassin, any in, in real life, oh, like okay. the, the CIA, the MI6 in the UK, the Stasi in, um, in Israel. If you are targeting somebody, you don't want collateral damage. You don't want to have anybody else hit. Mm. So a twenty-two caliber 
is a small enough caliber that it won't go through the head, but it will, it'll enter the front of the skull and scramble the brain and kill the person without leaving an exit wound. Oh, wow. Jeez. My Empty Room, what, it's not an instrumental, and it starts off as one, but it ends with kind of a speaking sing part by Jeff, which I, I really like. But what's he saying here? Where we realize he's now been confined, whether this is a padded room, whether mm. it's his hospital room, he's been confined to a room. It says here, I sit. It doesn't mean he's on a chair. He's very likely just sitting in the corner on the floor right. or somewhere, especially if it's a padded room. He's going through his mind. Now he's coming to the acceptance. She's gone. He's going through this next phase of grief. He's gone from anger to acceptance. Then you get this horribly just wrenching line at the end. Who's going to come now to wash my sins? Who's going to come clean my room, fix my meals? Who's going to be my friend? And he's come to that acceptance. I will never have her again. I've lost the only good thing that has been in my entire life was Mary and she's gone. And it's wrenching when I hear it because it turns into a, a scream that slowly mm-hmm. starts to fade away as it goes into the next song. It's very effective and very cool. It's a really cool ending. It's a really powerful yeah. little, like, guitar strum and the in the swing uh, singing there. When you're listening to them for the first time, you're kind of like, "Oh, this is okay." It's a little bit, you know, when he yells out in anguish, and it's just a very effective, cool moment at the end. That 15 seconds is really cool. Now, what I like about this, and remember what I said, if you listen to the very beginning of the song, past Anarchy X, and it goes into Revolution Calling. I said it sounds like you're hearing a clock almost unwind the way they do the music. It's Mm. almost like we could visually. We have a clock ticking in this to remind us we are still progressing in time. We're going forward. And as it ends, you notice that right as he screams, now who will come to wash away my sins? The clock stops Mm. because now we've caught right back up to where we were at the beginning of the album. And we're going to hear the same Dr. Blair, Dr. J. Hamilton. Right. And this is what he was thinking when the nurse was walking into his room. Yeah, I love it. So Eyes of a Stranger is the track, uh, sorry, the album closer is Eyes of a Stranger. So are these his eyes that are the stranger? Yes. Okay. Yes. This is him coming full circle, coming to the recognition that his ideological youth, his idea that he could be this 
wonderful soldier in this revolution. He was going to change the world for good. People are going to be proud of him. He was going to win the girl. He was going to be the hero in this story that was playing out in his own head. Actually was not. He was a pawn in someone else's game. And he has given up everything about who he is, his life, his humanity. He has become someone he doesn't even recognize when he looks in the mirror. He sees someone staring back at him and he has no idea who that person is. It's so different than who he was before meeting Dr. X. The music at the end is so amazing. <laughs> I love yeah. how the song ends. You've, you've got to play that last bit. Yeah, I know. I, I know when you did your first watch, you used the music video, and I, I wrote to you right after. Yeah, like, no, 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 no. You've got to hear the way they close the album. That's fair. Okay. So here's the intro. right back up to where we were at the beginning of right. the album. It's almost like two stories playing. You could almost see a split screen where mm. if we go back, here's the nurse walking in, whistling, hello, hello, right. perhaps you need another shot. And what's happening underneath is he's going through this. I don't even know who I am anymore. I'm just screaming constantly for a nurse. I'm screaming out, even if it's only in his own head. God, I love this album. Yeah, <laughs> we can tell. No, I do too. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just new to it, that's all. But uh, I, I get it. I do. Great stuff. Oh, I love that pre-chorus line that we come to at the end of that guitar solo because he's like, how many times yeah. must I live this tragedy? It's in his mind. He can't shut it out. He's going through it over and over. It's replaying like on a loop. And he's like, how many more lies will they tell me? The doctors, the nurses, you know, he doesn't believe anybody. All I want is the same as everyone. Why am I here and for how long? What a 
philosophical way to end that little inner monologue of Nikki's because the sense of him being caught in a loop, caught in this time loop, right. is going to play itself out. And that's where the beginning of the album continue to show us he's stuck. The whole album is one day in the life of Nikki, remembering the entire story from start to finish. He can't stop replaying it. my god it's great it's, we've been on not only a concept album journey we've been on a story <laughs> we've been on a musical journey we've been on a lyrical journey and we realize where we end is at the very beginning of the album and it's going to loop around and we're just going to listen to it again because that's what nikki's doing that instrumental medley at the end of operation mind crime speak revolution calling and end with the almost digital version of a scream of revolution mm-hmm it's as close to what I would call a masterpiece in terms of start to finish execution of an album that's telling a story, taking the listener on a journey, has such great introspective moments. It's commenting on society, it's commenting on religion, it's commenting on government, but it's also commenting on the relationships we have and how easy it is for us to lose our way and end up on the wrong side of the law, the wrong side of society when we let somebody who's got ill intentions get the better of us. It is an amazing achievement for this band. The accolades that came out for this album, both at the time of its release and currently, so at the time of, of its release, it received widespread critical acclaim. Contemporary critics praised the band's musicianship, Jeff Tate's voice, the complex and well-developed storyline, everything we touched on. There was an unmistakable sign that the band did not aim to the taste of the masses, but primarily wanted to publish intelligent, artistically demanding album. It was a highly social political album, conceptually brilliant. But modern reviews are also saying that it's one of the greatest heavy metal releases to date, which left a legacy for both the band and for the progressive metal genre. It is probably one of the most influential albums of my teen years when I would be able to pick the music I chose to listen to. I could go buy my own albums. I had a job, I had a car. I could pick what I wanted to listen to, not what my mom and dad had on in the car or what they had on on the home stereo. It is up there as one of the most influential albums for me of all time. Old Music gave it four and a half out of five. Collector's Guide to Heavy Metal, nine out of 10. Krang, four out of five. Metal Forces, nine and a half out of 10. Rock Hard, nine and a half out of 10. 
Sputnik Music, 5 out of 5. And of course, the Rolling Stone, stupid magazine that it is. They're always so terrible. 3 out of 5 wasn't enough for them. But Rolling Stone does. I don't. Uh, you can't <laughs> leave that out. Are you an Iron Maiden fan? Yes, I am. I was a late bloomer. I only started listening to Iron Maiden like two years ago. There's no wrong time to discover the brilliance of Iron Maiden. Yes, they are I, just awesome. Bruce Dickinson, when they did their concept album, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, which, by the way, for side note, the very first CD I ever bought, and I didn't hear one note. I just knew I loved Iron Maiden so much. When that album came out, I bought it uns- or, you know, uh, unheard right. uh, as a CD. Bruce Dickinson said, even after putting out Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, that Queensryche, this is his quote, Queensryche did it better. That's the proper way to execute a story album. Wow. Well, and I was going to say, there's definitely uh, Iron Maiden influence and nods with Minecraft. So the fact that Bruce himself said, hey, it's cool. You guys did it better than I could have. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, some of their early influences for Queensryche, which you can hear early in their career, obviously Iron Maiden. They signed with EMI, which was the same label that had Iron Maiden on it. James Guthrie was the producer for Pink Floyd, was the producer of the album The Warning. So there was sort of that Judas Priest kind of feel with a Pink Floyd tie-in. There was even a little bit of New Wave that kind of worked its way into Rage for Order. If you go back and listen to The Warning and Rage for Order, you can feel the beginnings of what Queensryche would be able to accomplish with Operation Mindcrime. It's fantastic. Well, now that the yeah, so uh, fun part, part... I don't want to do. Well, you have to. That's... <laughs> and this has happened before with other guests where they've liked something so much they don't want to... Look, not... A, right, so are you trying to tell me everything's created the same? No, I get it. I, I, I use this analogy all yeah. the time on, on radio. I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. All those movies, my wife and I will do marathons, but we'll start with Iron Man and we'll go all the way through to Endgame over the course of weeks. But one of those has to be the least, the, the least of those movies. One of them has to be ranked first. One has to be ranked last, even though they're all amazing movies, right? You have to and say it. What, one's worse. Well, there's the one that's the worst. There's no other way to describe it. <laughs> and I hate it because you can't, <laughs> remove it from the album, but that's not what you're saying. You're not saying nope. what's the one song you should leave off the album. For me, I would have to say Electric Requiem is probably my least favorite. Oh, that's that's an easy one. Come on. You're, you're oh, gonna... You want me to pick a longer song? Well, yeah, I mean, that's fair. You're right. Everyone participates. It falls within the rules. That's kind of weak sauce. Come on now. Challenge yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you're going to make me do that. Yeah. Oh. So one that's not an interlude song, even though that does fall on the spectrum, but it's still not my picky. Anyways, there's one song. My Empty Room. Would that count as one that's a full song, even though it's a short one? But you just can't. You just have to. You don't want to do anything that's not an interlude song. I, I know. Okay, so it can't be an interlude song in your mind. Okay, so well, two, it's that's easy, and I think our audience would be like, "Oh, everyone that's a Queensrÿche fan of this album would be like, oh yeah, yeah that's a good pick." I mean, come on, let's challenge the audience. Challenge yourself a little bit. So if it's not an interlude, it's a, it's a full-on song with a solo beginning and you know all that could what the song. Every other song that's a song is a song, right? So let's do a non-interlude song. Okay, so if I don't pick an interlude song, sure. even though it followed the rules, yeah, no, you're Ryan. right. That's <laughs> <laughs> I'm challenging you a little bit. I am, but that's fair. You're right. I get why you picked that. That's fine, but that's easy. Challenge yourself. Okay. Okay, so you say it's easy. I, I love those because how do you bridge into the final song without My Empty Room? How do you bridge into Breaking the Silence without Electric Requiem? But, mm, okay, that's, fine. That's fair, fair, good arguments. All right. If, if, if those were off the table, right. which apparently you're making me <laughs> I'm forcing your hand. Probably, I am forcing your hand. I, I apologize. 
I think the mission would probably be mm. the one I'd rank lower. Not lyric. I mean, that's the thing. Lyrically, brilliant. It tonally, you need that to end the first side because now he's doubting himself. But in terms of energy and drive, it is a slower song. It is a depressing song. It's very much a, it's the probably in my mind, as far as a longer song on the album, one of the main songs, it is the slowest because he's trying to mm-hmm. justify what he's done to him, to, it, done with his life, the killings he's done, the road he's taken, the path he's on. It's the downer song. There is no, there's nothing upbeat, thrash to it. You don't jump to right. it. I can't imagine jogging to it. So in that respect, I'd have to say the mission. Okay, your criteria is your own, so that can't be argued. And uh, now, now another one. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm just. I'm just making you. I'm just making you rank the album. No, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. No, I appreciate that. And the funny thing is, is the reason why we have those rules, like everyone has to participate, because the waiting for 22 would be an easy pick. It's kind of it's not a great instrumental on its own. Even it's not even that great of an instrumental. I, the reason why I like my empty room, I love that 15 second. It, it excites me when he screams at the end, comes out mm-hmm. of no. I to me that's just enough. It's not long. I love how it uh, how Jeff Tate scre- it surprised me. So right now it's still new for me. So I, mm-hmm. I love I love that surprise. And same with the electric Requiem. I love the drum roll. I love that do 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 sound with the drums. So that again that's exciting for me. So you might the audience listening. Keep in mind I said electric Requiem first because yes you did. It probably is the one song. If you left it off the album, you probably could have kept going and you wouldn't have missed a beat. That's fair. Waiting, That's fair. You know, My Empty Room, the reason I love it is it has to be the bridge to catch us up in time. We are now back up yeah. to where we started. So... I get it, and that's why I, it, that was my second pick. So that's, no, that's good. Be clear. <laughs> no, who we, well, <laughs> I picked those. I was just curious. I was curious. No, but yeah, f- officially for the record, if people who are tracking, so you don't get hung, hung for this. Yes, you did pick Electric <laughs> Requiem. I was just curious outside the interludes. What maybe what was the one? All right, okay. so we got to go to you now because you just discovered this album. Yeah, and I got to tell you, I felt like I was reliving it watching you. When you did your video, which I don't know if you'll put that sh- in the show notes to, to go watch it. But. I should I should do that. And this for our listeners, I've never advertised my uh, YouTube channel or uh, anything like that on, on the podcast. So where you, you've uh, you've outed me, you forced outed me in front of my friends <laughs> and family. Unfortunately, this reaction to this album got blocked on YouTube, so I had to put it on an alternate site. So what I will do is I will link. I don't do reactions. I do what's called first-time listens. It's just a uh, you're watching me listen to something for the first time, and I get my feelings on it. But because I'm, you know, I don't tear off my shirt and bounce off the chairs and make sound effects. <laughs> I just say this. This is cool. That's great. Right. I like that. You know. So, anyways, I'll well, put a link to that for you. Do you have a guess what mine might be? The reason I loved it so much okay. is I was watching you start to sing along to lyrics you're only hearing for the first time. That, to right. me, is a pretty strong indication that those songs have the right hook. They've hit you in the sweet spot, and you were... And I watched you. I watched you fall in love with this album in that video. So I was really... It, to me, it, it brought a whole new freshness that I will ne- I'll never get to hear this for the first time. Right, you know, I know. I have yeah. some traumatic brain injury, so right, it was sure. awesome to relive it through you. That's cool. I'm glad you got th- I'm glad and that's why I think a lot of people do like reaction channels because they get to watch people discover something like, "Oh, that must have been what I was like when I heard it for the first time." Yeah. Okay, uh, so to your question, what do I think? If yeah. Knowing you, listening to you, your other shows because it is an intro song and it is a safe, almost radio-friendly as well. I almost think your weakest song, you're going to pick Revolution Calling. Close. Yeah, you're not totally, your reasoning is sound and it's close. But believe it or not, it's Operation Mindcrime. (laughs) 
Really? Yes. Because if you go back and watch your reaction, you're like, oh, wow, Operation Mindcrime is even better than the first song. I know, but it's funny that you're absolutely right. And if Revolution Calling was my worst pick after the first listen. It changed since I first listened. It went to, it went to Operation Mindcrime after subsequent listens because I've been listening to it almost nonstop on my jogging in the car in the couple weeks since I've, uh, since I've done that video. Isn't that funny that Operation Mindcrime aged the even though it has a wicked solo, it almost saves it because I love the solo in that song. But the chorus, Operation Mindcrime, the chorus is it's the weakest of all the choruses. Right, and story wise, there's not a lot happening. It's basically re- t- giving you a background of how Doctor X uses mind control on Nikki, and it's the here's your code word, and every time I whisper Mindcrime, you're going to be triggered into assassination mode, and now yeah. you've got a mission to go on. I get it. Just a I operation love it. in Minecraft. It's just a oh. little bit, a little bit. I like the song. It's the same reasoning. I like the song, but it, ironically, it was the one that devalued itself the quickest out of the ones I've listened to. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. For me, that's why the mission, it feels like that story-wise, tonally, as I already said, it's awesome. I love it. But if I had to pick one, it feels the most depressing. Mm. And if you're looking for an album to pick you up and make you feel good and bop around, that would be the one song you're like, oh. Because even Sweet Sister Mary that has sad or maybe almost psychological interludes, there's plenty of rocking moments to that 11-plus minute song that I couldn't pull that one out. No, no, no. Amazing. All the songs to me have even a drive, a beat, a rhythm. You know, you just feel like it's pounding. The the one song that's not is the mission. There you go. Well, there you go, the folks. That's how we do it. Uh, if you're a first time listener to this podcast because you came over from the Wilder Ride and and uh, Alan's other projects, thank you for listening and taking this journey with us. Uh, if you've come over because you're a Queensryche fan and you wanted to check out what a couple of numbnuts had to say about your favorite <laughs> album, we appreciate your patience and don't get mad at us. It's just the concept of the show is we have to pick the worst. It's very easy to pick the best, but it's more fun to pick the worst. So remember, in front of every silver lining there's a cloud and we're here to help <laughs> we're here to help find that cloud uh alan say your goodbyes and say say again where people can find you you know if you want to hear the show the first two seasons we were breaking down a movie a minute at a time it's called the wilder ride because uh, we're looking at the movies of gene wilder we did young frankenstein first we followed it up with blazing saddles season three we changed we were going to have two shows side by side but we couldn't do silver streak we've still got that maybe for our next year and we'll do uh, continue our listeners lounge but we started the listeners lounge and we really liked having a kind of talk show format where we get a chance to learn a little bit about somebody Maybe from radio, maybe from a podcast, maybe from their work in the FBI or whatever. We've just got, we try to always find cool and interesting guests. And who knows, maybe by the time you've heard this, you'll hear that Ryan, there's an episode to go back in time and listen to his episode when it comes out. So um, all in all, we, uh, we just have a good time just chatting, talking, having fun. And uh, you can find me and, and my podcast partner, Walt Murray, at thewilderride.com. We've got a Facebook, we've got an Instagram, and we've got a, f- a Twitter account all under The Wilder Ride. We got lucky enough that our, our podcast title wasn't taken in any other form, so it's The Wilder Ride across the board. All right, that's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, and maybe we'll do this again. Maybe we'll do uh, Empire. Who knows? Oh, Ryan, yes, but just I guess we'll have to set aside another three-hour block of time. I had no idea we would be able to spend this much time, but it's such an amazing album, and I'm so happy you were coerced into listening to it, and now you become another fan. That's awesome. It's good stuff. All right, don't hang up. All right, talk to you soon, brother. 
All right. Gamma Gator Productions.